to Digital Transformation with Jack Marr and Jay Mata. Digital Transformation is about so much more than technology. It's about refocusing on people and value. It's about leveraging technology to build more meaningful relationships and enabling and empowering our associates, building engagement and giving them the tools and opportunity to do what they do best and even do it better. It's about culture, relationships, and tools that can unlock customer obsession in an organization. It drives innovation and responsiveness that propels your organization and delights your stakeholders, creating and building relationships founded on value, creation, and delivery. This show today was just girl power today, you know? Big time. And really getting into the heart of things. When we talk about data in healthcare with Talisha Bruce. Data in healthcare and education, right? And Jay Sheree Acharya talked about RPA and did a great job of getting down to the nuts and bolts of what RPA or robotic process automation is to enable folks to focus on higher value work. Welcome to Digital Transformation with Jack Marr and Jay Mata. Today, we have Talisha Bruce joining us, and we're really excited to talk about a couple of areas that we don't get enough time to speak about or enough insight into, and the interesting overlap between healthcare and education. Welcome, Talisha. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, Talisha. How are you doing? Nice to have you here. Um, Thank you, Jay. Can you give us a bird's eye view of who you are and what do you do? So my name is Talisha Bruce. I am the owner of Enhanced Health IT and Consulting. And what we basically do is data consulting. We focus on healthcare and education. The message that we want to get out is the importance of data and understanding that the data just doesn't appear perfect, right? A lot of organizations, they tend to want to put it in-house and do everything themselves or utilize their subject matter experts to do the data um, analysis and so forth. And the purpose of my organization is to basically take it out of the hands of the subject um, matter expert um, and become a liaison between the subject matter expert and the technology, bridging the gap between the two. Sure. It's more important today than ever for both of us to speak the other language and be fluent because if you don't have an understanding of the business you're limited in how you can best advise from a technology perspective. And to your point, the data is the most critical piece, and it doesn't just happen all by itself. We help align the business with the data and the technology. So basically what we do is identify um, data issues, gaps in the data, how the data is not coming across correctly, and we help build dashboards, business intelligence tools to, in order to give better insight on the data. A lot of organizations use Excel spreadsheets and it, you're unable to identify what the issue is through Excel spreadsheets. So we take those Excel spreadsheets and we put them into dashboards. They give a better view. The visuals give you a better view of how your, your, um, your organization is doing and how you can improve. Now, when you talk about healthcare and education, uh, for the most part, don't those organizations have someone in there that handles that? How does that work? Yes. A lot of the times they do get individuals that 
come into the organization or they bring them in-house. But the way that we work is that we don't focus on either side. We focus on both sides. A lot of these individuals, they're either technology driven or business driven. And we help them communicate better. And a lot of organizations, communication is one of the biggest issues and the biggest needs. So we allow them to communicate better. We don't want to take over their structure, but we want to improve their structure. So, you know, you you got two of, you know, what a lot of people will perceive as some of the hardest and yet most lucrative industries to tap into. How do you get through all that? Like, how do you get through the gatekeeper with, um, you know, when you're talking about your program, how do you get through the gatekeeper with, you know, let's say the schools or even, even, you know, the hospital administrator? I mean, what's that process look like that you have to get through before you can start having the conversations with whoever you're going to be working with? Well, currently the process is cold calling, reaching out, providing them the information, showing them the current dashboards, taking their current data and identifying the gaps. A lot of organizations they have for healthcare, for instance, as you would think it's in the same organization, they have healthcare data, they have multiple um, data sources, meaning the healthcare data and the patient's social determinants of health, their social aspect. And these two systems do not integrate. And they keep them separate. So what we do is we show them how we could integrate them using a business intelligence tool to in- integrate the multiple data sources. A lot of these organizations do not currently have that in line. The tool that I currently use is Power BI, and it is a newly established tool. It's about five years. So a lot of organizations do not have this expertise. Data in healthcare is fairly new as to other organizations. As well, as well as health um, education. So it's a, it's a need, even though um, there's a lot of individuals that integrate this into their business structure. So yeah, let's, let's jump into that a little bit more deeply because I think that's an area that folks could really use a little more insight into. You mentioned business intelligence and you also mentioned Power BI, I think, as a product. Business intelligence is one of those things that I think it gets thrown around so much that I don't know that people understand what it means. So maybe we could dig into that just a little bit. And also, I think there's a direct evolution from the spreadsheets that so many organizations use into using this kind of tool. If I remember correctly, this is a Microsoft tool. So does that give folks an advantage who are coming from Excel as a way to integrate what they're doing or at least what they've created in the past into this tool moving forward without having to reinvent the wheel, so to speak? Exactly. So Power BI basically is a Microsoft tool, right? And most organizations, almost every organization have a Microsoft suite of products, Excel, Word, even Apple integrates to Excel, Word, right? Because it's a need because it's the main tool used for all companies and organizations. So the thing about Power BI is that it integrates with these tools perfectly, right? So the learning curve is very small. Um, It's basically clicking boxes. The learning tool of creating the dashboards is very simplified. But the thing about it is, is that if the data is not clean, if the data is not organized, if the data is not structured, then that tool cannot do anything. So it relates back to the Excel spreadsheets, creating a standard location for all these documents. Like we were previously talking about is that a lot of organizations have the data on Excel spreadsheets. When a person leaves the organization, there goes that spreadsheet too. So then they have to reinvent the wheel. Now, if you integrate Power BI 
and a data warehouse into the structure, that data lives on with the organization rather than the person. Let's dig into another piece of this, and it's pretty related. Number one, in healthcare and the rise of the electronic health records and the security and privacy needs around HIPAA in particular and some of the other regulatory requirements can be daunting and in some cases even terrifying for some to be able to maintain their integrity. I assume then that by using Microsoft products, we have a lower risk profile, a better stance versus some other products that may be out there. And I'm thinking of things like, for example, you know, a lot of schools are using Google Docs for their tools because they're free. How does that play in or does it even? And then I want to kind of go from there more into the schools and why they use those tools because their budgets are so limited. And I think there are some advantages here for folks that are coming from either a nonprofit or a school or other kind of organization in using these tools. Can, can you help us with those, those two sets of, of issues that are so related and so important? Most schools already have Microsoft as part of their technology structure, right? So by integrating a tool of Microsoft, it lowers their cost of implementing it because they already have a contract with Microsoft. Microsoft is widely used in the education system, not so the healthcare system so much because a lot of individuals could use multiple. But if in the education healthcare sector, Microsoft is the go-to tool that a lot of organizations use because of their framework and how they structure their payment. So Talisha, let me ask you this. Um, from a client experience, if you can give us a view of that, when you're working with uh, a healthcare organization or, or a, you know, an educational system, if you would, do you go on site to where they're at or is this all done virtually depending or, or a combination of both? It depends. Um, a lot of the times you do go on site, but the technology that we have today, we, we usually are able to Skype or I go on location. I sit in their meetings. There are multiple different meetings um, with the business units. A previous assignment that I had was for an education medical organization in which they received the grant in order to implement an automatic registry. The good thing about it is they were doing something manually already. So it gave my organization a great structure in order to identify what they needed, the different elements that they needed, the different data elements that they needed. So sometimes sitting in on these meetings, a lot of the time Skyping in phone calls. So it, it depends on the intensity. If they have a structure, a manual structure already integrated, it's an easier process and it's less on-site meetings. But um, if they don't, it's a better field to get um, an insight on the different users, the technology department, the subject matter expert. And sometimes you don't need to at all go into the location. So, Talisha, when folks hear this and are interested in, in getting some insight into this, are you available to them to reach out to, to ask questions and sort of get that uh, experience to work for them and where they, where they are and what they're doing? Sure. Um, I offer free consultation and I just do an analyzation of their current data structure. If they have the data on Excel spreadsheets, if they actually do have a data warehouse, but it's not structured, if they have the data information and it doesn't connect, identifying a way to connect if it needs to 
integrate a new workflow process. But yes, we don't want to disrupt the current workflow. We just want to add more value in order to get more value within the data. Awesome. How would they get a hold of you? They could reach me on my website at enhance, E-N-H-A-N-C-E, health, H-E-A-L-T-H-I-T.com. Or they could reach me on social media, enhance health IT, all um, platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, as well as they could reach me via phone at 786-803-8631. And so that's for educational folks as well, right? Yes, it's for education and healthcare. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for sharing this with us today and shedding some light on business intelligence. Sometimes it feels a little bit like an oxymoron, but I love the fact that you've got the ability to to help folks take what they have and use what's usable and move forward as well. Thank you for your time mm-hmm. and for sharing this with us. Thank you. Thank yeah, you for thank having you. me, Jack and Dave. That was a great conversation with Delisha. I really enjoyed that a lot. And I'm super excited about this one with uh, Jashri coming up because uh, RPA is is one of my real interest areas right now. I'm just starting to play with it a little bit and uh, finding some pretty cool successes. I see where it came from, but where they're taking it now is, you know, amazing. And it is the hottest thing going on in the marketplace from what I see. Hi, this is Andrew Kingery with the Whitestone Consulting Group. In the next 60 seconds, I want to inspire you to be more intentional and effective at creating value. I'm covering the 20 laws that govern value creation two at a time. The law of options says your customers or followers always have options, even if it's choosing not to act or simply settling for another solution. It's easy to see why many disregard this law, because it means the creator is not in control. The customer is. And this runs counter to the way many egos think. The law of permission says permission must be given before a perception changes. I cannot change your attitudes and beliefs without your permission. This is important because it's common to believe telling others what to do is the only requirement to changing beliefs and behavior in others. This is a false belief. I'm Andrew Kingery and this is Two Laws of Value Creation in 60 Seconds. If you want to learn more, head over to valuepractitioner.com. Standing on Shoulders, a leader's guide to digital transformation, written by Jack Marr and Carmen Diardo. On behalf of everyone who tries to improve the business outcomes of the technology work we do every day, I applaud the efforts taken and the writing of this book so others can replicate their amazing outcomes. This book fulfills the promise of documenting their journeys and lessons learned and showing how the promise of creating world-class technology organizations can be within the reach of everyone. Gene Kim. Get your copy of Standing on Shoulders, A Leader's Guide to Digital Transformation at Amazon.com or at Barnes & Noble or at your favorite bookseller. Welcome to Digital Transformation with Jack Marr and Jay Mata. Today, we're super happy to have 
Jayshree Acharya joining us to talk about robotic process automation. It's uh, fairly new and white hot in terms of what's going on in the marketplace. So we're really excited to hear about what's going on and, and what it uh, looks like and, and maybe even how we might use it. So thank you very much for joining us today, Jayshree. Thank you so much, Jack and Jay, for inviting me over to this particular show. Yeah, you're quite welcome. You're quite welcome. You know, so we're going to have this audience and uh, possibly some of your potential clients be listening into you today. So can you give us a bird's eye view of who you are and what exactly do you do? Yes, of course. So, again, as Jack mentioned, my name is Jay Shuriacharya, and I currently work as a digital transformation consultant uh, for an organization called Cognizant Technology Solutions. Um, I've been a part of this uh, team for about two and a half years now. And prior to that, I spent about 16 and a half, almost 17 years with another organization called Genpact. So pretty much my journey or my career has revolved around business process management, understanding business processes in detail, using optimization lens, using Six Sigma Lean lens. And now that I do digital transformation consulting, I use the automation lens to understand processes and make and making them efficient uh, and, and better. What exactly is the process? So look, take me through this journey, if you would. Let's say a client is say, okay, first question is, is like a digital transformations. It automatically gives them a hmm moment for most people. What, what generally do you go through? So what does it look like when you're actually working with a client and, and the, the scope that you would be working with them as a consultant on? Well, the first step, I mean, we, we do a lot of assessments. We do a lot of, you know, design work and implementation in the automation realm. But the first step, which really, you know, makes the entire journey successful is identifying your starting point. So a definition of a process really differs you know, from one industry to another. Okay, in an insurance industry, it's pretty simple. It's a logical, sequential, you know, uh, organization of steps that you take to accomplish a task, right? It could be claims processing. It could be, you know, um, anything else or annuities processing. But when you move industries, that process definition shifts a little bit. So the first step is to basically arrive at what are you going to look at what is your base? So is it a process? And if it's a process, how are you going to organize yourself? So that's what I would say, and that's what I've seen in, in my various um, engagements from an automation perspective in different industries. If that's not right, then I think I think the whole assessment piece and the design piece or, you know, so to speak, the outcome piece, um, you know, gets a little shaky. Because if your starting point is not correct, your end point is, of course, not going to be what you really want. So... This this process again of digital transformations. When I first heard the term, I was thinking myself until I, until Jack uh, had me on the show here, and as I get my head wrapped more and more around it, you know, first of all, I was like, hmm, is it is this related to major large companies? I mean, is there is there generally an ideal target market that are going to use digital transformations as an application? Uh, well, see, there is of course a target market. Right. However, digital transformation is a huge term. It has really a lot of smaller pieces that can be used by anybody. Okay, even in my daily life, I could use a small piece of digital transformation. For example, when I work on an Excel spreadsheet, 
Okay, and I it, it's it's an extensive financial you know P and L spreadsheet, and I put in some macros and I put in some you know formulae. I'm actually automating it to some extent, right? It starts from as basic as that, and it could go to a, an extent of you know consolidating all your technology applications, your infra, you know architecture, you're consolidating all your data you know architecture, and then basically looking at how you could make it more efficient, like, you know, one or two, um, you know, technology components across the entire organization. But we can, yeah. So all I was saying is it is accessible to everyone. You can start it today. It doesn't take a lot of uh, big shifts in your in your thought process. So when you're actually working with a potential digital consulting client, can this be done does this have to be where you have to be on site with them or can it be where you're remote with them also as a, as a consultant or expert in the field? Um, uh, absolutely. You can do it in combination. And I, I and most of my projects have worked successfully um, when it has not, even if it has not been 100% of my time on site. So, so a comp- and, and we have to look at how we really want to utilize their time effectively. So, um, you know, when you are trying to understand or assess a business or a process, some of your time may be required uh, wherein you've got to sit with these SME to see how they're processing the work, look at the tools. But in today's world, if you really ask me personally, everything can be done digitally, virtually. Okay, okay. WebExes work really fine. Uh, we have video conferences. I have done this virtually on my laptop, sitting in a remote location, and it's worked fantastic. That's and we record everything, so I can go back, refer to it later at a later point in time, and basically create or develop my recommended roadmap. So it is possible. You don't have to be really always be on site to do this work. In fact, it feels like it's getting easier and easier to do it when you're not on site for some of these kinds of activities. Yes. And I, I love what you said there too about the time savings because that really can become critical. And, and to cir- kind of circle back to Jay's question about target markets, this is really for anyone who has any kind of routine work that they do. That doesn't require, you know, analysis or decision making um, and that want to free up that time to do, you know, something of higher value. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, that's the reason why when I said digital transformation is a huge space, there are tools. Uh, there are resources for every need that we have. For example, if I have like a bunch of repetitive rule-based, no, no judgment required type of tasks, I could mm. use say probably desktop automation or I could use RPA. But if I have um, an intake process, like, you know, where I'm getting a lot of applications or forms, invoices or whatever, can I use machine learning? Of course. But you, that's a, that's a little higher, you know, slightly higher realm of things. So you got to understand you know, create a strategy, how you want to do it, it could be slightly expensive. But is RPA expensive? I would say if you really break it down into smaller chunks and pieces, um, like, you know, if someone could do their assessment in-house and only go out and, uh, you know, look for a specific developers or implementation specialists, I think they could save a lot of money. Assessment uh, is not difficult. 
Yeah. Absolutely. And, and really the key is time, right? It's all mm-hmm. about what is your time worth? And there are two pieces of that. Number one, what is the value of your time? But also, what's the opportunity cost of what it is that you're not able to do when you're investing that time in one activity versus another? I had a client in Cincinnati that Mm -hmm. uh, did a lot of automation in their data warehouse space. It was a ton of routine work, and they were able to shift 800 plus hours of work in a given cycle down to about eight hours of work, and wow. which enabled them to significantly change how they defined their work and what they did. And everybody was so much better off. You know, what was the cost to do that? It, it really wasn't that high. But when you compared it to the value, it was trivial. So it really depends on what you're doing. And the other part of that is, and you, I think you alluded to this, was not just automating the mess, right, of what you have, but to take a look at the processes that you have, the where they drive value, what are the things you should be doing, what are the things you should not be doing, and how can you consolidate those into a better process that's better for automation and with better results. And then you can tweak it as you go. That continuous process improvement makes it better and better and better over time. Absolutely. And uh, and one of the things that you also talked about was not just don't just automate the mess before you automate anything, before you even you know think about digitally transforming. We must first understand what the mess is and fix the mess without using digital transformation. When you fix the mess without using digital transformation and then you put digital transformation on top of it, it just is fantastic. It's much cleaner, it's much shorter, and it's much, much, you know, a better looking process than what it used to be earlier. And your digital transformation journey is much, much more smoother because your process is already standardized, right? Amen. Amen. That is like the Bible right there. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So in terms of getting started on this, What's the best way for folks to get started? And should they, you know, reach out to you before they get started, once they've decided what they want to do to come in after they've done it and coach on implementation? Or what's the best way for them to get started? Well, I think starting point, you can get started anytime, anywhere. Uh, but uh, the basic starting point should be identifying that, yes, I really, I think there is a room for making my process, making my business efficient. If that's, that's an idea that came to your mind, then I think you, that's where you start. The first thing should be to lay the process out in as much detail as possible. I can use some tools like value stream mapping. That's one of the best tools that I've seen. It works really fantastic. If you have a a local uh, team member who knows how to do value stream mapping, you can also go online and find some really great YouTube videos on how to do value stream mapping, right? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> so so do that and that will just give you um an idea where your non-value added tasks or waste is in your entire process. And once you've identified that, then you probably could employ or engage with a coach who could then tell you what kind of tools you could use if an automation tool will be applicable or no, we don't need an automation tool. You could just do it away with probably a macro or something simpler than that, right? So I would say the assessment part, the VSM, definitely people should do it on their own. 
right? So how can folks get a hold of you so you can be their mentor or coach them in this process? Absolutely. So um, they can go on LinkedIn and connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm available like almost 24 by 7. As soon as someone sends me a message, I'm like, okay, let me just find out what they need. And um, we could connect on LinkedIn, uh, follow me on LinkedIn, and, and I will be there to help you out. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Jack, and thank you so much, Jay, for taking out your time. You're welcome, Jay Sharif. Are you leveraging social media in your integrated marketing campaign? LinkedIn has the richest demographics on the planet, enabling you to connect with and build relationships with an audience that is probably looking for you. Let's use a laser focus and get right to the point. We can advise you every step of the way or even do it for you. Drive growth through high-quality personal relationships with your prospects and clients the way you've always wanted to. You can find us at standingonshouldersmedia.us or click on the link in the show notes below. Great show. Thank you very much. Jay, you were awesome as always. So thanks to our guests. And I really want to also thank our sponsor, Whitestone Consulting. Andrew Kingery and his 20 Laws of Value Creation are just so refreshing. I, I love uh, having that in every one of our shows. And we hope that you'll join us again soon. Yep, yep, definitely tune in again because this was a great one. I hope you liked it because we most certainly did on this end.